before we start, do you have any feelings to express about Ro Laren? I mean, I have a lot of feelings to express. I think I expressed most of them in my Tumblr post and I am expressing a lot of them. I will be in <laughs> my photo cap, but I rewatched in order to do the screenshots, my mm. 675 screenshots. And the performances are so amazing that mm. it feels like a gift of an episode despite the sad ending like yeah everyone's like oh closure i didn't know i need i'm like no i needed that <laughs> I, I knew i needed that for 30 years mm. and therefore for me personally it was very special and uh, you know i can live in the in in the same universe where cat isn't dead yeah yeah i've already seen some some rose not dead theories and uh, i support them wholeheartedly Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation Season 3 episode, The High Ground. And I'm very sorry that a minor injury on my part prevented us from recording on St. Patrick's Day. It's very close, though. <laughs> this is a very it's... special episode about the Troubles. <laughs> yes. Before we get to the synopsis, I think I should mention yes. that, I mean, first of all, we all know I'm an American. Really? Just, just putting that out there. I'm an American, so I am a 0% <laughs> authorized to talk about the Troubles. And just to to really put forth that reality, I wanted to mention that my understanding of the Troubles beyond Wikipedia uh -huh. comes from the memoir Just Another Kid by Tori Hayden. Yes. And the TNT television series Burn Notice. <laughs> okay. Okay. I have read maybe two books about the Troubles. One is a fairly excellent journalistic study called Say Nothing, and I'll dig up the author. And I watched all three seasons of the Channel 4 Netflix comedy Dairy Girls. So we are very well. Yeah, yeah. Also, despite being a redhead, my heritage is mostly Anglo-Scottish. I have some Irish ancestry, but that was like, you know, a long, long, long way ago. Yeah, I am 50% Merida, which is Scottish, which is related, but not the same. Extremely. <laughs> and 50% Thor. <laughs> so that's me. Yeah. Yeah. So we are in no way qualified to talk about nope. modern Irish history. That's actually not going to stop me, but. <laughs> I just wanted to put it out there mm. before we got into the episode at all, because even though they pretended like it was about America briefly. <laughs> Briefly. It was not. <laughs> and if you would like an actual Irish person's perspective on this episode, I will link to Darren Moody's review, which I also read ahead of doing this and found very thoughtful and extremely considered in its profound criticism. So, what happened in this episode, Annika? All right, so we're on the planet Rudia. Unfortunate At least name. Part, some of them are Rudias. <laughs> so, so we're on the planet Rudia. And the Enterprise is dropping off medical supplies that the Federation is giving to the planet because they are having bad times and things keep blowing up. 
Yes. So the away team is sort of hanging out in a coffee shop at the, at the beginning of the episode and it blows up. And so Dr. Crusher runs over to take care of the injured people in, in you know, the corridor. They're like in a mall. Basically. So, and she refuses to beam away. Mm-hmm. Data, Worf, Picard, and Riker are all afraid of her. And so <laughs> they refuse to beam her up. And what happens is she gets kidnapped. Yes by people using a dimensional shifter, which is like a transporter, but more dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yes, and harder to track. They can't find Beverly. They know that she's been taken by the terrorists. And so they have this very special, nice conversation with Wesley where they explain terrorism, because I guess that's not covered in (laughs) wherever. Wesley went to school. And uh, basically, the entire episode is about Beverly hanging out with the terrorists and, you know, learning about their cause, which is independence. Mm -hmm. And Riker hanging out with the cops and learning about their cause, which is cracking down on terrorism (laughs) and independence. ACAB. Very ACAB. The reason that Beverly was taken is twofold. One, they wanted to make a point by bringing the Federation into their fight. And two, the dimensional shifter is causing a lot of damage to their physical being, and they needed a doctor. They try to blow up the ship and fail, and instead kidnap Captain Picard, so then Captain Picard and Beverly get to have a whole bunch of arguments about whether or not terrorism is good <laughs> and what the Federation does or does not do. And also, like, just everything. They bicker <laughs> for That's a so good great. 20 minutes. So uh, the Enterprise and the cops team up. <laughs> they infiltrate the terrorists. They kill the terrorist leader and they arrest everybody else. And then the Enterprise warps away and pretends that none of that ever happened. (laughs) And famously, this episode was banned in the UK for a long time because of a line from Data about the Irish unification of 2024 being an example (laughs) of successful terrorism. They've got nine months. I guess they have nine months and a year. Yeah. They could take all of 2024 to unify. I don't pretend to understand Brexit, but I do believe that at one point that prediction looked likely to come true, except that there has not been violence in Ireland for over a decade now, thanks to the ceasefire, which was frankly unthinkable at the time this episode was made. Yeah, and yet it wasn't that much... No, like, it was no. only a few years at later. Yeah, it's like yeah. 1997, 1998, something like that. Something like that, yeah. And ultimately, what brought peace to Ireland was not terrorism, but diplomacy and amnesty and everyone on every side just agreeing to politely pretend Jerry Adams was never with the IRA. So this is all a very, very special episode about terrorism, and it's kind of awful. It's an absolutely fabulous episode for Beverly. If you love watching Beverly be a strong-wheeled healer and watching Beverly bicker with Picard about big issues, this is an amazing episode. It was actually my favourite when I was a kid for those reasons. 
But oh my god, so much of it is just people making speeches about terrorism, but not really having anything to say about it. Yes, I mean, we'll get into it, but the cops... (laughs) Alana, I think her name is Alana. Alexana. 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 I loved her as a child. Not, Mm. like, her point of view, but her ability to be, like, a strong lady cop in charge who was, like, going toe-to-toe with Riker and had a lot of feelings. So I was really into that. But she's awful. Oh, yeah, she's a bad Everything everything about her is very, very bad. (laughs) Finn is also awful, but Alexana is, like, a next-level awful. I want to shout out writer Melinda Snodgrass here because she wrote this the script for this episode and she wrote a bunch of TNG episodes and she has always been very consistent in bringing interesting and strong female characters to roles that I think would have default gone to men with other writers. Mm. I kind of wish that she had stuck around and worked on Voyager, but she actually left Star Trek after season three. But she gave us Alexander and Philippa Lavoie and for these gifts I thank her. I did some reading yesterday since we had an extra day and I read the whole Memory Alpha entry for this episode and I was kind of dismayed to realise that the original pitch for this episode was awesome. It's basically an American Revolution episode where Mm. the Federation are the English and the Romulans are the French and it was about Picard realising that the Federation were the bad guys. (gasps) Needless to say, Gene Roddenberry did not care for this concept. I was going to say, and I understand why that was yeah, not done, yeah. but still watch Picard. I mean... They'll make up for it. <laughs> there are so many empty speeches about terrorism in this episode, and the only one that is really compelling is where Finn talks about the Federation's moral cowardice when it comes to non-aligned worlds. And I think that speech works because it is specific to this series and this universe and it's not a generic speech and it's true. The episode directly before this was about the Vietnam veterans of another planet and the Federation being like, oh, we can't intervene. And then you have stuff like Lift Us Up Where Suffering Cannot Reach and oh, we just have to watch this child die. It's such a compelling critique that I think gets lost amongst the mushy, oh, we have to find something to say about terrorism, but we don't really have any experience or understanding of the issue stuff in this episode. So you mentioned that you were considering watching the West Wing episodes on terrorism. Oh, God. And I just want to say, good comparison. Yep. There's this liberal need Mm. to plant a little flag to say, I have an opinion about terrorism. (laughs) And yet the people who have those opinions have the privilege of not dealing with terrorism. Right. Like right now, there are people who who sometimes call like Black Lives Matter a terrorist Mm. group. And it's like the the people who say that and they're terrible people. I just want to put that up there. The worst people. But those people, their lives are untouched by anything that the people who are protesting not doing terrorism Mm. but protesting like they don't have any personal experience with any of that right and so it's like this thought experiment for them that like oh well that doesn't seem bad enough to do violence over 
And so they don't even notice that they're not doing violence. <laughs> and it's this crazy, and it feels like that where it's like, they were thought they were doing something really great. They were like, we are going to shine a light mm -hmm. on this problem. And we're going to explain that everybody is actually a good guy, but they're all just doing it wrong. And like, that's not actually a helpful message. The high ground really made me think of the scene in the West Wing where Josh, and I'm just going to put this out there, it's controversial, I do not ship Josh Donner, but where Josh tells Irish Jason Isaacs that he has no understanding or experience of terrorism, and somehow Irish Jason Isaacs doesn't punch him in the face. And right. The, the thing it's... is, this episode was made in 1990, and actual terrorism was not part of America's life at the time. The Unabomber was sending right. out his mail bombs, but that was a tiny, tiny thing. We're five years away from the Oklahoma City bombing, where not even up to the routine bombings of abortion clinics. That was a few years ahead. And of course, 9-11 was 11 years away. At least the West Wing has the excuse of having those episodes as a reaction to 9-11. And it's it's telling how dramatically the culture changed once there was a major terrorist attack on American soil. I will say, Americans and Australians, because we're both countries with a lot of Irish diaspora, especially Irish Catholic diaspora, often have a bit of a rosy-eyed view of the IRA. And I totally get it. It's not just the oppression of Irish Catholics, it was you know, that white colonizer feeling of, oh, what if I was the victim? Oh, I mm -hmm. would stand up for myself. And this episode doesn't fall into that trap. Finn and the Ansata terrorists are, like, Finn is an outright sociopath. He is a terrifying <laughs> man. And it doesn't shy away from making him, uh, from showing that side of him, that he's utterly ruthless. And as bad as Alexander the cop where I think it fails yeah. is that we don't really see the civilians, the people who are being radicalised because they're innocent and they're being called in by the cops. The innocent right, victims. Right, the closest of... we get is my kid. Your kid. I love your kid. Do you want to talk about your kid? Or do you want to save that for later? <laughs> I want to bounce off of something you said about romanticising the IRA. Mm. Because true. So about bird notice. Yes. Fiona Glidan is the, you know, second lead of the yeah. series. And she is a former uh, member of the IRA who mm. is now working with the former CIA agent to like do good in Florida, mm. which you understand why that appeals to me. I do understand completely. <laughs> so they met when he was undercover as Irish. And so it was all very romantic. And I just have always, like, I love Burn Notice and I love Michael and Fiona. They have an amazing relationship that is super dysfunctional and terrible and screwed up and a mess but also amazing and perfect and they're the only people who could ever love each other mm. but fiona as herself like separate from michael and separate from anything is another woman that i was just i'm just just very like oh look at this you know she gets to be kind of crazy and blow things up and mm. that's a a strength like people see her <laughs> as awesome because of it She's an action hero to the point where Gabrielle Anwar, who plays her like toward the end, she was like, I really need Burn Notice to, to end because I'm a mother and I don't want to show my kids this show. <laughs> like she was upset mm. that there that 
her character was so violent and it was shown in such a positive light. Yeah, that romanticization. It's really interesting to me. And, and she, uh, I'm currently obsessed with Jack Crusher and he has a very Fiona Glenn vibe. Like he's not violent and crazy. Well, maybe sometimes, but it's like this same, that same, you know, I am willing to punch people out instinct mm. that I was very drawn to. And Finn is absolutely a sociopath, but he seemed more romantic to me as a child. Oh, God. Because he had a point of view. And I'm going to now, I see him as Magneto. Yeah. In, in the, like, I'm going to be a monster and I'm going to lean in to the monsterness of myself in order to make a point. I think that's a fair reading. I Also, I remember watching this as a kid and thinking, A, Finn was the most attractive man in the world, and B, mm-hmm. <laughs> I really shipped him and Beverly. And then I watched it for the second time in my life the other day, and I was like, oh, wow, he really is very good looking. I do not ship it at all. Like, tiny Liz, <laughs> tiny Liz needs to understand healthy relationships. There is nothing healthy about their relationship. I, I do not ship it no. in any way. Not even the like Michael and Fiona way. No, nope. no, that's they're just bad. But this episode meant a lot to me. I actually quoted it in more than one essay I wrote for school. And I remember vividly one of my friends, like I use the quote, in the world where children blow up children, everyone's a threat. Mm. That was the quote that I used. And I, I don't remember what book we were writing about, but this was like, you know, like eighth grade or something or, you know, middle school. And we had, you know, you read something over the week and then you write an essay on Friday and you hand it in like kind of thing. Yep. And my friend was like, oh, you're going to get an A because you included that quote. Where did you find it? And I was like, oh, you know, I read a book. (laughs) But my teacher did know that it was from Star Trek. And she was the, this is so embarrassing. She was the advisor for the gifted program, (laughs) which was called Pupils Reaching Out for Broader Experiences or Probe. Oh, no. (laughs) Anyway, and I, she got me into it because I put Star Trek quotes in my school essays. I think this is very apropos because it is very much a middle school sort of understanding of very complicated issues. Yeah, it must have been like, because that was the sixth to eighth grade, so it must have been closer to sixth grade when I was doing it. Anyway, none of that is important. (laughs) I was young. You were. And I didn't have a very firm grasp <laughs> on what I was talking about. Which but is I was fine trying very hard. Because the writers didn't either. And the TNG writers room is as critical of this episode as we are. And for the same reasons. Like no one was under the illusion that this was a good episode or a mm. successful story, except in terms of characterization for Beverly. And, you know, you write twenty six episodes a year, you're gonna have some duds. The line that jumped out to me was when Picard says, history has shown us that strength may be useless when faced with terrorism. And I just pictured, like, the camera closing in on George W. Bush's face. Awkward. Awkward. Obviously. I'm not a fan of George W. Really? Really? Really. I know. Crazy. So unexpected. I literally lost my voice when he was reelected. Now, so many years later, it's 
crazy to think about 9-11. And mm. so actually, this is a good place to put in my my strange line that I was talking to a friend months ago, really. And I said it and then I was like, wow, that explains me so well and also how terrifying. But it's, I'm a pacifist except when I'm an anarchist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that like describes my personality very well. So 9-11 was obviously horrible for everyone, but I have so many memories of fighting with people who just wanted to jump to that Mm. you know, kill everybody and fight back and go, let's go bomb was not a great place generally at the time. And it really exacerbated everything. So my memories of everything immediately post 9-11 and for really the, the few years after it are really trying to reason with people and, and like be against that mm. instinct. And I think it colors the way that I see media that is dedicated to 9-11 as well, yeah. which is like most of media post 9-11, certainly action films. Yeah, And it's just interesting to me that I'm like, I love Star Wars, mm. you know? And yet I am not that person, like, I, mean, I love Rolaren and I'm not that person. Like I am, I, everything that I love is that person. And yet I don't think that I would be a Fiona or a Ro. You know, I, th I think we put too much weight on the idea that a character you love is someone that you identify with and you want to have as a role model. Sometimes we love a character because they're the opposite of ourselves and they, they have traits that we would never have or want. And it's interesting to explore that and experience that through someone else. I don't know that I have much more to say about the terrorisms aspect of this episode, but I just mm -hmm. want to say that the bit where Finn talks about how Washington was a terrorist is bad. Like, historically bad. I only studied the American Revolution for a week in school and everything else I know from <laughs> Hamilton, but my understanding That's is... That's true to most Americans. <laughs> The American Revolution was an insurgency and it was a guerrilla war, but the Patriots were not enacting random violence on civilians the way the Ansata do, the way the IRA were doing. It's just a glib, cheap comparison and Beverly should have mm -hmm. called him out. Well, she probably hasn't learned about the American Revolution either, let's be real. She was born on the moon. She probably studied <laughs> moon history. You know, I hated it when she was like, yes, North America. And I was like, this is stupid. You're mm. from Earth. That's it. You're from Earth. Also, it's done. Like, I was thinking that we know she was born on the moon, but also, like, North America doesn't rule out Canada or Mexico. Right. It's whatever. Like, again, poor writing all around. Just bad. You know, they put that in so that she could push back. And, mm. but yes, it just feels. Like, why does that guy know about George Washington? Like, it's just, I can't, he's like pulling up Federation Wikipedia to <laughs> find someone mm. in like Beverly's potential ancestry who would might be a terrorist. It's just stupid. Like, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. He ran a quick 23andMe test, found out she was <laughs> Scottish and not Irish, so he couldn't talk about Jerry Adams, so he had to go for the next, you know, Pull someone up at random. 
No, I can't even handle it. It's so bad. Okay. <laughs> I like it's stupid. It's a throwaway line. We sh I shouldn't be so upset about it, but it just... No, no, I've, no. Been, I've been stewing about it for days. Like, I did so much reading yesterday about the American Revolution and was George Washington a terrorist? Well, if, you, oh if we use the definition of terrorist in the Patriot Act, okay, no, uh. one, no one looks at the Patriot Act and thinks, yes, this is reasonable. Again, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for being on my side <laughs> in the debate. <laughs> Apologies to our Republican listeners. We don't have any Republican listeners. <laughs> so as, a, as an episode, this is terrible, but as a Beverly story, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. This is Beverly Crusher as the single-minded healer who, you know, Riker says, I wouldn't want to be in the transporter room when you beam her up against her will. And, and Picard's like, no, me neither. They're terrified of her. It's amazing. Like, as a kid, I thought... Yes, that is female strength. That is what female strength looks like. And now I think it's maybe a tiny bit patronising, but also it tells us so much about her character. Okay, you know how they say that, and they're not wrong when they say this, but that Deanna and Beverly are both in caring, woman-coded professions and therefore it's, it's not as feminist as you think it is kind of thing. But in this case, Beverly runs towards danger, which is the definition of hero, right? Right. She's not waiting for people to bring mm. bodies to her to take care of in a passive healing way. She is actively going into the bomb site mm. uh, to make sure that she is there to do whatever needs done. And yeah. she does that constantly. She is constantly going against orders and going into danger. Yes. I also want to say if the caring role of chief medical officer is so feminized, then how come female CMOs in Star Trek are the minority? It's one of those funny things where it's like, oh, you know, a doctor is so, you know, she's caring. And so therefore she's not getting to be active and proactive and heroic. And, like, what are you talking about? And also, there weren't, like, women doctors had to fight for so much for so long. Even, and it's not like they're more, yeah. like, it, it's not like there aren't male doctors out there. <laughs> like, they haven't taken over. Right, right. Even in ER, the addition of Susan Lewis as the only female doctor in the pilot was a last-minute gender swap because someone went, oh, oh, all the women are nurses. And that was when Next Generation was coming to the end of the, its run. I don't disagree with those criticisms, like, about the caring and nurturing professions. I think, obviously, the writing for Beverly and Deanna was not especially enlightened on any level. But I don't think that Doctor is as feminine a role as critics make out to be. Let's, I'll talk about my kid now. Let's talk about your child. So in the Ensada camp, they're like underground in a cave somewhere. And uh, there are a bunch of, you know, terrorists. Mm. But they all look like normal people. And there are a bunch of injured terrorists who have been using this dimensional shifter and, and it's doing terrible things to their physiology. And so Beverly is working on them using the stolen Federation medical supplies. And she befriends a young boy. Yeah. 
about 11. 10 years old yeah ish yeah. he never speaks <laughs> he doesn't have a name he is just the boy in the credits he's a presence throughout he has a very important role in the episode but he is he is not he's just sort of like window dressing until the very end he's someone for beverly to show compassion for mm. to play off of to you know show who beverly is that she is not just looking after these patients but she's also trying to teach this kid who is like basically assigned to help her out to be able to do this if she wasn't there anymore like she's trying to pass on the knowledge of what she's doing to the only person who like they don't have a doctor that's why they stole one so this 10 year old is the best bet for them and so she's trying to bring him in both to help him because mm. like if you were kidnapped by terrorists and found a 10 year old yeah it definitely would be my goal would be like i'm gonna get this kid out of here <laughs> we're gonna save this kid and if she can't save herself, then she can't save the kid. She can't escape, right? Yeah, yeah. So she's going to do the next best thing, which is give this kid a role that is not terrorist so that he can grow up to be something else, something beyond the circumstances of his life. And she's passing on her knowledge the way her grandmother passed her knowledge onto her. Exactly. Which is so important to me <laughs> because... I just, like, I wanted to be this kid. I mm. have said many times that Beverly Crusher was was extremely my role model. I desperately wanted to follow in her footsteps in some way. And, you know, I've said this about Gillian Taylor, right, that I wanted to be a cetacean or a marine biologist, and no one believed me. I also mm. wanted to be a biochemist, and no one believed me. I was not supported in these goals and this was the 90s this wasn't like the 50s Mm. and people were telling me that i couldn't be that it was the 90s and no one like i was too little and girly and sweet and Mm. not a scientist like they just didn't imagine that i could be a scientist even though i loved science yeah and so everyone assumed that when i said i wanted to be a marine biologist or a biochemist like Gillian Taylor or Beverly Crusher, they assumed that I meant I wanted to be an actress. <laughs> and that's what everyone supported me. In right, being. right. That's extremely fascinating. <laughs> it's just, it's just weird because mm. it's not like, like no one tells kids to be actors. No, no. Except everyone I knew. I mean, my mother, later in her life right before she died became a nurse Mm. and if she had not died she very well could have believed me and supported me in becoming a scientist but I see that's I see that in Beverly and so like I I loved this kid Mm. again as a kid I remembered him whenever anyone talks about the high ground I think of the kid and I think of their relationship and I think of the way her voice breaks when she says if you grow up yes and so, again, this is another reason why I love Jack Crusher so much is because she got to bring that kid all the way up yeah. the way that she did with Wesley, the way she did it with this kid. And he is a healer like her. Mm. 
and it just means so much to me. A lot in Picard is made of his not having a legacy and blah 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 the Picard line but Beverly's legacy was Wesley and he transcended to be something else and with Jack this is her second chance. Jack is Beverly's legacy first, Picard's later to me. I'm still not watching it but you know. Yes so I have very fond feelings of this episode even though I think even as a kid I knew that there are a lot of things wrong with it. Yeah. The shippiness oh my God. <laughs> of Beverly and Picard is off the charts. When he says, uh, if you had obeyed my orders, and she says, if you give reasonable orders, I'll obey. That's when I'm like, <laughs> oh, they're in love. <laughs> they're in love. I mean, right from, I mean, he is distraught. Yes. When, I mean, he's distraught when she runs into danger. He's distraught when she's kidnapped. And then when the Ansada show up on the bridge, he literally jumps up and punches about. It is amazing. It's like, you know, Mr. O Diplomat Picard, <laughs> who has this ridiculous reputation of not punching people out, absolutely goes feral on this guy. It is so good. This guy who has shot an injured wharf and taken Worf off the page. And then Picard just launches himself at him like a feral cat. I love it so much. And it's entirely for Beverly. And then their looks when they see each other, the look that she gives when Finn suggests that he's going to kill Picard, mm. like every single thing that happens in this episode as related to Jean-Luc and Beverly, including when Finn's crush oh, is revealed. I was about to say. <laughs> And he's like, so, you know, how close are you to this? Do you think that, you know, you can, you can, you know, manipulate him into agreeing with us? And she shows him the pictures that Finn has drawn of her that are, you know, he clearly has caught feelings. And Picard's like, aha, we can use this. Yes, yes. I'm like, I'm like, Beverly, go ahead and slap him. <laughs> that was when I was like, these two are going to be great parents. I love the art book because the sketches of Beverly are very, very clearly like from season one promo <laughs> shots. The hair and the makeup are different to how she actually looks. It's very bad. I love it, but it's bad. Okay, my note about the art book is that so that, you know, Finn and Beverly throughout the episode have these little conversations mm. where he's like, I'm not really a bad guy. And she's like, you're kind of a sociopath. Mm. And you're kind of horrible and you're definitely a bad guy and he's like okay but i'm a bad guy for good reasons and he's just like you know what there's no such thing as good reasons for murdering people <laughs> and then he's like i don't want you to be afraid of me is i think what he says right before handing her the book and he hands over the book to like because again everyone in in beverly's life is completely incapable of actually telling her how they feel <laughs> so he hands over the sketchbook and she's like starts flipping through it and then there's like this this gentle music that <laughs> comes in it's like this romantic motif and i just start laughing every time because the music is so bad oh my it's gosh so wrong for again they want us to ship this and it's, we should not want to ship this in the at scene, all 
in the scene where they're planting the bomb on the Enterprise, the music gets very, very dramatic. And I was listening to it, and after our conversation last episode about the music in Data Law, I was like, this would be better with more synths. I really think more synth. It is just amazing. It is amazing to me that his reveal is presented in this, hey, audience, mm. look at how sensitive. Mm. He's a sensitive artist. He's not just terrorist. He's also a sensitive artist. And in that sense, great. he actually feels like a first draft of Chakotay. <laughs> We always forget that Chicote is a terrorist. He would never say any of the things no, that are said no. in this episode. Like Chicote is meant to be this incredibly resolute guy who resigned from Starfleet and joined the Marquis, and yet throughout Voyager he is constantly changing sides to whoever is most powerful at any minute. Like he's a quizzling. He he's absurdly flexible in his allegiance. And Janeway who is supposed to be the pinnacle of Starfleet royalty because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. she's an admiral's daughter yeah, and she... she was raised to be exactly who she is. She's a Nepo baby. Is absolutely uh, willing to do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to stand up for her ideals and just run ramshot over everybody else. Right, right. Their, their positions really ought to be reversed. Whereas Finn, I feel like if he didn't die and he took off and joined the Marquis and wound up in the Delta Quadrant, he would be making problems with Seska full time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There's a ship I can get behind. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you mentioned that he dies. Yes. So Finn is killed by Alexana. The worst cop. You know, all cops are bad, but Mm. she's a really good example of a bad cop. Yes. Because she thinks she's so good. She thinks that she has every reason to do this. And, like, I get it. Witnessing children killing children Mm. is bad. But her policies are not going to get any of, like, that is not how you get the results that you want. And then she's like, well, I'm so much more humane and ethical than my predecessors. Gross. Yeah. Look, I really liked Alexana as a character. I thought she was a great foil for Riker in that they are both very strict rule followers and yet they're such completely different people. And unusually for Riker, or at least the stereotype of Will, there is no flirtation whatsoever between them. He does not like her. (laughs) he does not like her because she is unlikable i mean yes that's great yeah yeah no not not a complaint no i'm just saying she's just a bad person so alexana kills finn and it's very dramatic and sad because beverly knows it's gonna happen and does not let him Mm. know and he dies he gazes at her and then collapses on the ground (laughs) and so she's the last thing he sees how lovely and then my kid shows up and points a gun at Alexana. Yeah. Who has just murdered his leader. And again, this is a 10-year-old child who, it's, it is unclear, but could very well have been raised underground. Mm. His, you know, his entire life 
probably his parents died to Alexana and her crew. Mm. And he's a refugee child who has been absolutely indoctrinated into the only possible way to deal with this problem is to bomb them until he meets Beverly, who's the first person who's like, hey, you're a person. Yeah. So he, you know, he's pointing his gun at Alexana and Beverly tells him to put the gun down and she says, no more killing. Mm. And that's enough for him to lower his weapon and he is arrested. And I, this, I'm gonna put this right out there. I am so sad <laughs> about this child <laughs> because there is no way that his life in Ensada prison, mm. even if he gets out when he's 18, which is very not clear to me, because they probably, you know, they're an alien culture, but let's say if using Earth American terms, they're going to try him as an adult. Yeah. They're going to either lock him up for a life or, you know, at best, they're going to quote unquote rehabilitate him. Go watch The Mandalorian for some <laughs> rehabilitation. There is no good ending for this child. No. So him putting down his gun is trite, but it's also heartbreaking. It's because... so heartbreaking because this culture is not going to know how to deal with that. They, she says, mm. like, she's like, oh, there's another one. He's new leader has already been, has already been identified. And I'm like, that is a child. How can you be so jaded that a child who chooses not to kill you is your greatest enemy? I think that kind of is a reflection of what it's like to be the oppressor in a state being protested by terrorism. Like I'm thinking of Israel and their treatment of Palestinian children but yeah, it's, it's grim. This is one of those episodes where we get into a society and we see all their problems and then we walk away and nothing has been solved and it's kind of bleak. So again, lift us up where suffering cannot reach. Right. Picard and Beverly, again, spend all their time together bickering about mm. either side and then they leave. Yeah. <laughs> and do nothing. Nothing ever happens. <laughs> Yeah. They don't give medical... They probably never give medical supplies to this planet again because giving medical supplies created this problem. Mm. Mm. Obviously, we're never going to revisit Rudia because no one else cares. <laughs> but I care. And I am sad. I did find it interesting that what Finn was asking for was for the Federation to place sanctions on Rudia for and, and cut them off from trade. And I'm like, the Federation is a post-capitalist society. They don't need to trade with anyone. Why are they still dealing with the Rudians at all? Why mm -hmm. are they bringing medical supplies to one side and not the other? Yeah, it is. They, everyone is right that the, like, the Federation should not have been involved in the first mm. place. And if they're going to be involved, they should be equal to both sides. Or they should negotiate. They right. should actually intervene. Like, these are your options. Obviously, we can't have the Enterprise warping away, having solved Rudia's problems forever. Because then Please. we're back into the West Wing fixing 
the crisis in the Middle East for all time. That's just just trite. But I do wish that there had been a note of the Federation as sending in negotiators to attempt to help both sides reach an agreement. Like, the Federation is not just walking away and washing its hands forever. Yeah. I have... On my notes, I have uh, two lines at the end. And the first one is, what even is the resolution of this episode? (laughs) Yes. But then the second one is, ugh, Beverly and Wesley make me so sad. They have this lovely hug. And we know how that's going to end. It does seem like Wesley just abandons his human family. And I actually really dislike that. I choose to believe that that never happened. I want to believe that Wesley still visits his mother and his brother and taught Jack how to fly and stuff. Let's wrap up by talking about the really important thing. Fashion. is amazing. So good. It's so, so TNG era future fashion. I love every single thing that everyone wears. The plaza scene in the beginning has a woman walking across in the background wearing a royal blue jumpsuit with tapered pants tucked into sort of slouchy little flat ankle boots, which I'm pretty sure we'll see a few years later on the Ocampa. But I looked at that outfit and I went, I would wear that jumpsuit right now. And then the next day, I saw a woman wearing the same jumpsuit on the train. The only difference was it didn't have the 1990 shoulder pads. Everything is very candy colored. Yeah. Royal blue and purple. Mm. And it's just all amazing. Both sides wear the same colors. Like, I really, I love looking at fashion and costuming that helps tell the story. But it's very interesting to me that everybody wears the same colors in this episode, even though they're on opposite sides. And also there's like the ridiculous hair choices (laughs) where all the men have like a white streak through their hair and all the women are redheads. It's very strange. They really sell the idea that, that they're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and that is interesting to me. And then so <laughs> Alexana takes off her so she has a uniform. She's yes. wearing her cop uniform. And her cop uniform is mainly royal blue <laughs> jacket and uh, like John Poor's. Like I don't yeah. know what's going on with her pants, but it's very uniform mm. and crisp and everything. But while uh, she and Riker are discussing things and in getting ready to interrogate people she takes off her jacket (laughs) and so she's she's in her like work shirt and her no joke silver glitter suspenders with giant buttons all of which is like super bedazzled like like it's so shiny glitter suspenders like something you would wear on broadway it looked like NYPD Blue, the musical. Yes, exactly. Because it, it absolutely it looks like a cop uniform, but it is bedazzled and it's amazing. And then and... Finn is also wearing a sparkly bedazzled jacket. It's Which really I, something. I didn't even realize until I was paying attention to this. You know, again, all of the fashion is just very 90s Trek, mm, ridiculous. Mm future fashion but the bedazzling is amazing it's like we are 
terrorists who live in a cave <laughs> and don't have a doctor. Not even one. But we have our barky things <laughs> and our hot glue gun. That's right. But we have have our glue gun. And it's very important that we have a shoulder, Mm. like dragon scale glitter. But also Finn is wearing a turtleneck. And not the standard Star Trek mock turtleneck, but a full-on turtleneck. So he looks a little bit like Jerry Seinfeld, but it's also that 1990s sensitive guy look. It is very much the sensitive guy look and a little bit... Like Steve Jobs, kind <laughs> of, you know, because he's also an intellectual. Right, right. He's <laughs> don't forget. Yeah, yeah. And then I don't usually notice this, and this is going to sound terribly crude because I just need to talk about Beverly's tits for a minute. But <laughs> Gates McFadden is a very slight woman, right? She doesn't have a big bust, and unfortunately, in high res, you can see all the corsetry, and you know early shapewear under her uniform so it looks incredibly uncomfortable but then her her, the top of her uniform looks like it was cut for a much bustier woman and so it Hmm. just sags ever so slightly and it's really distracting to me in a respectful way like i know later in the series they start padding her bra but it really jumped out at me because of the high def my high resolution tv i will admit i did not notice that well (laughs) You should pay more attention to Gates McFadden's breasts going forward. Apparently. I don't think of Gates McFadden that way. Mm. Mm. There are some shots where it was very obvious, like the the dart for the bus line is just sagging. And I'm like, why did they not give you a shirt that fit, Gates? What happened? Who did you offend? I mean, she offended many people. It's true. <laughs> Allegedly. And for all the best reasons. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Gates McFadden in all ways. She went around being a lady with opinions and they didn't like that. How dare. I think that's everything I have to say about this episode. It was bad, but I enjoyed talking about it with you. That's good. <laughs> that's, you know. Mm. That's... Sometimes that's all we can ask. That's all we can ask. I didn't bring up all of the ridiculous things, other fandoms that that I had on the list, but that's probably for the best. Yeah, I'm sure some of our listeners will go off and watch Burn Notice now. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Burn Notice is great. It's on Hulu right now. And I I will say, shout out to Nicole Kidman and George Clooney film The Peacemaker. Oh! I mean, I do enjoy Clooney. It's, uh, you know, 99 years later, but I don't even actually know when it's made. It might be after 9-11. But the point is that it is very similar, but does a better job. (laughs) That's what we like to hear. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on social media at Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, and Mastodon, antimatterpod. Just search for that, and I'm sure it'll show up somewhere. (laughs) If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And just tell everybody, even the Republicans. Don't tell the Republicans. And join us in two weeks when we will be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation novel, Q Squared. Or at least part of it. I have this vague recollection that it was divided up into sections. 
Yes, it was. It's, I think it's, it's quite a dense book. We should do it over a few episodes. Yeah. Sounds, sounds smart. Yeah. There's so much shipping in it, though. I'm so excited. <laughs> so much shipping. <laughs>